Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. I ask you where you are in your living room, in your apartment, to bow your heads as I pray for God's spirit to work in us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Savior who has been raised from the dead. Jesus, our true and living King. Father, I pray that as we consider the work and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that we would, we would feel the enabling work of your Spirit in our lives. That we would see the truth of this gospel message, that our hearts and lives would be transformed, that we could follow after Jesus. Lord, for those that are listening this morning without faith in Jesus Christ, those that bring questions and doubts, I pray that your word would bring truth with clarity and power. Father, we come because we are a people who need to hear from you. We are a people dependent upon you. And so we come to listen to your word. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My brother, while in college, would play a trick on one of his roommates. It was a roommate who had a sleeping disorder where if, he was, where, where if the lights went on in the room, he would be awakened a few minutes later, but, but not completely conscious. And so the, the train passed right by this apartment so that the whole building would rattle and shake. And the roommates could plan it that they could hear the, the train whistle as it, as it crossed a, a crossing a few miles away. And so they would sneak in if the roommate was asleep. They would flip on the light so that he would begin to stare. And then as the train would rumble closer, they would suddenly turn the lights out in the room. They would scream, and then they would come running at him with a flashlight so that the whole room is shaking, and he thinks he's about to be run over by a train. Now, it's the foolishness of college students messing with one another, but maybe that cacophony of chaos gives us a picture of what's really happening here in Acts chapter 2. Because when I say, oh, here we are at the day of Pentecost, you say, oh, yep, 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 Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, I've got it. Let's move on. But, but, but look back at the language that's being used here. 
It's a language that should startle us awake. A language where the whole room is shaking. Where everything that we have known to be normal has, has now been, been, been cast aside. Where the, the rumbling of the freight train of God's fury and power is coming right at us. Because look back at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now look at verse 2 of Acts 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now we already know what happens in the rest of the chapter, so we're, we're comfortable as readers. But put yourself in that room. A sound, a violent sound, a violent wind from heaven rumbles through the room where it was just moments ago quiet. Now fire appears and separates like tongues coming down upon each person gathered in the room. This is the powerful outpouring of God's Spirit. And this is the very moment we've been waiting for here in the book of Acts. Because back in chapter 1, we read a couple of weeks ago, Jesus told them that they would be, in chapter 1, verse 5, baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said in chapter 1, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes on them, that you will receive power in order to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. But not only have we been waiting just a, a chapter the, the apostles, the believers in God, have been waiting generations for this outpouring of the Spirit. We'll see it next week when we listen to Peter's sermon in the rest of chapter 2. But the, the, the God of the universe has promised to bring his indwelling presence, his powerful presence upon his church. We can, we can turn back to the prophet Isaiah just to get a, a glimpse of this. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse Three, he uses the image of, of water being poured out in a desert place to show us the power and the life-giving work of God's Spirit. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, we read, For I will, pour out, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This moment of chaos here in this room where the disciples are gathered becomes the outpouring of God's Spirit, new life offered to them. And so we're going to look at these verses really kind of using the, the headings that Jesus gave to us back in chapter 1, where he said that you will be baptized with the Spirit and you will receive power. And so that's what we'll look at, the baptism of the Spirit and then the power of God's Holy Spirit. We, we saw there in verse 2 that the, the baptism of the Spirit comes with this sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Well, that's really just the word for spirit. Both in the Greek and the Hebrew, the, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same word. It's the, it's the movement. It's the power of God. We've been prepared for this moment from the very first words of Scripture, the coming of God's Spirit. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we might picture that as a quiet and peaceful kind of moment. But when we hear the language of God's Spirit, this is God in his creative and active power. God who with a word will speak into existence the heavens and the earth. God who brings forth life, the Spirit 
of God at work. The wind rushing over the formless earth. The Spirit of God is here. We hear that language of wind being applied to the Spirit from the mouth of Jesus himself. If you turn to John chapter 3, you'd be reminded of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, a religious leader who has come to Jesus wondering if, if the miracles Jesus has performed were truly from God. And Jesus in John 3 verse 3 said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now perhaps that's language that's too familiar to us today, language that might have have negative or even political connotations that you are a born-again Christian, but it's the language of Jesus himself. But Nicodemus, Nicodemus responds saying, well, how is that possible? How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. And then Jesus declares truth to Nicodemus, that, that each one of us must be born of water and the Spirit. We must be born again by the power of God's Spirit. And in John 3, verse 8, Jesus says to Nicodemus, comparing the wind to the Spirit, he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, a powerful wind, bringing forth new life, making us born again, or as we read in Titus, regenerating us, giving us again new life. We were dead spiritually, but we needed life given to us by the Spirit of God, the wind of God, that we cannot understand his purposes or his power, but God is at work. And you know how John chapter 3 continues. If I ask you to quote this verse, you could join in and say it with me. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the work of God's Spirit, the wind that rushes into your life and gives you new life because Jesus, the Son of God, died in your place. And so will you put your trust in him today? As a believer, that's a a call for you to, to, to rely fully and completely upon Jesus. And maybe it's easier now to see your helplessness than it has been in the past, when the things that you would have trusted in this life have have been shaken underneath you. But if you've never put your trust in Christ, if you have not been born again, then listen to the words of John's gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gift of eternal life is given to us by God's Spirit. This mighty rushing wind blowing from heaven. To be baptized into the Spirit is to be given new life. So Jesus is describing that that all who put their trust in him will be given this new life, will be born again. The Spirit will be poured out on all who believe. This new and radical outpouring of the Spirit, not limited to to mere moments and time, but now given to you the power and presence of God. But the other image used here is not merely that of the wind, the wind that blows with the power of God from heaven, but an image of fire. Now, fire can be a picture of judgment, that God is burning away that which deserves to be destroyed. 
And without hope in Jesus Christ, then you and I would deserve the punishment of God's purifying fire. But because we've been given new life, because Jesus took the punishment himself, we need not fear this fire, but we see the fire here as a picture of God's presence. We can think of the places in Scripture where fire is meant to be a picture of the presence of God. You could turn to Genesis chapter 15, where God is meeting with Abram, the man that he has chosen. He is making a covenant, a a promise, a pledge, a, a binding relationship God is entering into with Abraham. Now, at this point, Abram thinks that he's going to have to sign on the dotted line, but what takes place in Genesis 15 is surprising because all of it takes place while Abram is in a deep sleep. It is God alone who makes the promises of the covenant. And what's the picture that's given to us while Abraham is asleep? When the sun had set, Genesis 15 tells us, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of animals laid out as a picture of God's covenant promise. God's presence here in a smoking fire pot, a blazing torch. We can think of God's presence surprising Moses when he is there in the desert and he sees a bush that burns. It's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. We we read that there the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Spiritual fire from heaven given to show the presence of God. And then God himself leads the people through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. God appears to them at Sinai to give them his promises and his commands. And fire and smoke are a picture of God's powerful presence. And so that's what we find in Acts chapter 2. The powerful creating wind of God blows through The fire of God falls from heaven. He is present in power with his church. And so the filling of God's Spirit shows us the salvation of individual believers, that they have been born again, that you and I are called to put our trust in Jesus to be born again. It shows the lives that are transformed by the regenerating work, the renewal that comes by the Spirit of God. But it's also a picture of God on mission. Because remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And so the Spirit is now poured out on the church so that they can be the witnesses for God. We see here the power of the Spirit. They are all together in verse 1, gathered together in this one place. Verse 4 says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles there then begin in verse 4 to speak in other tongues. Now, we actually aren't given a description of of how we move from this private scene where the, the apostles and the disciples are gathered together, men and women upon whom God pours out his spirit. We're not given a picture of how this private moment becomes public because in verse 5, we're reminded that, oh, it's Pentecost. That's right. That's one of the three festivals during the course of the year in which believing Jews from around the world will gather. And so there are Jews, verse 5. There were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. And verse 6 says, when they heard this sound, maybe the sound of of the the rushing wind, but, but more than that, it seems that it's the sound of these disciples now speaking gospel truth. 
When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. This private moment of the pouring of God's Spirit upon each believer now immediately becomes public. And, and maybe this is a place at which, okay, you have to stop and object because you say, I, you know, whatever you do when you're gathered together for worship, as long as nobody gets hurt, I'm okay with that. As long as you keep your faith private, I'm glad it works for you. See, we live in a culture, maybe this is the posture from which you begin, that it's okay for you to believe whatever you want to believe, as long as you keep it to yourself, as long as you keep it private. We live in a cultural moment where the freedom of religion is reduced to the freedom to gather in worship. As long as you keep it private, as long as you don't try and bring your faith into the public square, as long as you don't try and announce to me what I should believe, you're okay. See, but don't you see, right here at, at the core of Christianity is the belief that what has happened here is gospel truth, historical truth that needs to be announced to everyone. And really, if the problem is so great that we have sinned against God and we cannot save ourselves— and yet God himself has come and solved the problem, then wouldn't we be selfish to keep it private? See, it only makes sense to keep something private if it's that which should remain private. That which should be publicly announced has to be publicly announced because to keep it secret would be selfish and foolish. To have the plan of rescue and to say, well, I'm just going to keep it for me. See, that's the height of arrogance. And so really, it makes sense that Christianity, of course, has to publicly announce this gospel truth, that it moves immediately in the power of the Spirit from the private moment of the outpouring of God's Spirit on his church into this public announcement, this testimony of what is true. Because that's what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Why are, are we as the church given the power of God's Spirit? so that we can be witnesses to this gospel truth. Now, here in this first day of, of Pentecost, on, the, on this day of Pentecost, this first outpouring of God's Spirit, we see this miraculous work then that takes place. These men of Galilee are now able to speak in the languages of the nations that are gathered here in Jerusalem. Men who, yes, they probably would have known some Greek and certainly would have been fluent in Aramaic, but after all, they're only Galileans. We wouldn't expect them to have gone to the major universities, to have received the best schooling, to be fluent in the languages of the world. And when you read through these, these, the, the names of the peoples and the places from which they have come, you see that Jerusalem here is like the hub, and, and out from it flow the spokes to all the parts of the known world, all the places where the, the good news of the Old Testament had already gone. All of these peoples are now gathered here in Jerusalem. See, God— poured out his spirit on Pentecost. Yes, because there is something of the, the, the first of the harvest being brought. That's what the Old Testament uh, celebration of Pentecost is. It's the harvest of God, a celebration that God has given us a, a harvest. And so now there is a harvest being brought of people. But the reason, the practical reason that this takes place on the day of Pentecost is because Jerusalem is filled with people from around the world. And so when the gospel is announced, it can be announced as it is intended to be to all the nations under heaven. That's the language that Luke is using for us, the description of what's taking place. Now here it takes place in a miraculous way. They are not 
drunk, but they are declaring in the language of the peoples from around the world the wonders of God, verse 11 says. The works of God, the glories of God. It's a message that we'll see in Peter's sermon next week that centers in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel hope for us. And so today we don't, we don't long for those miraculous moments of God's outpouring. That was here in the apostolic era to affirm the ministry of the apostles. We, though, each one of us has the same power that was given to the apostles. And remember that today the church continues to speak the languages of Pentecost and even more languages because on this day, churches around the world have already worshipped in their own native tongues. That's why we as a church are committed to global missions, to spreading this gospel not just publicly right here where we live, but around the world, so that people of every tribe and nation and language, every nation under heaven needs to hear this message. That's why we support the work of, of Bible translation, that others would hear in their own language and have the same miraculous surprise that takes place in Acts chapter 2, that this gospel message is meant for me, for each one of us. And so it means that we as a church, when we think of the filling of God's Spirit, if you've put your trust in Christ, then you have been baptized in the Spirit. You have been filled with God's Spirit. You don't need to await some special moment or some special degree or some, some special experience. You have the fullness of the power of God's Spirit at work within you. And so we don't need to look for miracles. We just need to be bold in proclaiming gospel truth. We need to verbally and publicly announce the testimony of the resurrection. And so what does it look like to testify to the truth? I don't think today it looks like running out into the streets and looking for a crowd. You won't find one on the streets right now. But I think it means taking advantage of those opportunities you have to explain the gospel. Maybe today you are planning to call your mom. And so, make the conversation about the gospel. Announce gospel hope as you connect with family. Maybe you'll all Zoom together, and, and you can say, this is what's most important to me. Mom, I needed you to hear this. Or if she shares your faith, then, then, then announce it to those that gather and listen. Or maybe you're a mom who is going to hear those phone calls from your children. Maybe you've been praying with urgency and boldness, even for a child you think is, is lost and gone. We'll make today a day of gospel hope. Testify to the truth of what Jesus Christ has done. He died for you. He rose again. He is the king. But, but we still struggle. Maybe we struggle to, to figure out how to start the conversation. And so just let the gospel be an answer to the questions that people ask you. When people ask you right now, how are you doing? It's generally not like it is for most of our lives, just a cursory and perfunctory uh, excuse to just keep moving. Hey, how are you doing? You know, if somebody asks you that question now, they might have time to actually stop and listen. Because they're not assuming that the answer is, oh, fine. And so when you get asked now, how are you doing? Just be honest. You can say, I'm struggling. Life is hard. And this is a point in my life where I feel like I need to, to rely more and more on the God who loves me. 
Because it's moments like this that I see the power of what Jesus has done. Or maybe if somebody objects and they, as you start to share your faith, they, they ask you, but, but how could you believe in a God in a moment like this? This is exactly the moment that my faith matters to me the most. Because you and I would agree right now that the world is not working the way that it should be. But apart from a world in which God made us and loved us, then this is just the world that is. There is no way that it should be. And yet you instinctively, like I do, feel that this is not how it should be. And this is not how it will be. Because Jesus Christ came and died in my place. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's given me the promise that he is coming again. And so when someone asks you a question, whether it's a big, direct, and bold question, or it's a short and brief question, then be willing to give a gospel answer. Pastor James Boyce, in commenting on this passage, he says that Christianity is meant to be a spreading flame. Christianity should be incendiary in spreading gospel hope around the world. The fire of God has been poured out from heaven on his church to be taken to the ends of the earth. Now, some of you have probably heard me share the story of my kindergarten foolishness. It's a story that that my son likes to, to repeat frequently because he heard it recently from my mother as she shared my foolishness as a child. I was five or six years old. My neighbor across the street, Jeff, and I got a lighter and decided this would be fun to play with fire. Now, if you're in my community group, you've heard me admit and confess to this. You've probably even heard me allude to this in previous sermons. And so kids, do not play with fire. What happens in, in my own story should make that clear, but I also had another friend around the corner whose brother was blowing up, was lighting matches and blowing them out and tossing them aside and burnt his whole home down. Thankfully, he and his family were able to be rescued. But, but don't, kids, don't play with physical fire. Because what Jeff and I learned in taking that lighter out into the field behind his house, that it seemed kind of fun when the fire was small. The problem is fire is meant to spread and consume. And in the dry summer day there in New Jersey, the wind began to spread this flame. Thankfully, a neighbor saw the smoke, and the fire department responded quickly. Even the forest service had to be called out to put out the flames that were quickly beyond our control. See, what Acts chapter 2 is pointing to is not the foolishness of a child, but the powerful plan of God in spreading not a destructive force, but the life-giving work of his Spirit, the Spirit who brings new life so that we can be born again. Church, we are meant to be a fire that spreads, a fire of gospel hope, of life-giving hope. And so, who will you share this good news with today? Jesus, your Savior, Savior, took punishment upon himself. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus reigns as the King, as your King, And so go with power as his witnesses. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, we are in need of your grace and power. We need you to work in our hearts and lives. Father, we are people who are are quick to, to cower in fear, worried that we won't know how to respond. And so, Lord, let us feel the presence of your power. But Lord, don't let us depend upon our own feelings. Let us put our trust in your word. 
your word which says your spirit has been poured out abundantly on the church so that we can become witnesses, bold in making the name of Jesus Christ known. Lord, I pray for conversations that we'll have, have even today that we would be willing to insert the name of Jesus Christ, that we would be willing to testify to the truth of his resurrection. Lord, let your Spirit enable us. Give us a boldness in gospel hope. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who has poured out his Spirit upon us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.